Today we're going to be continuing the sermon series we started that's called Overflowing Hope. And today we're going to be talking about how, um, how this overflowing hope that comes forth from Christian theology that Paul spoke about in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, uh, beginning with the 16th verse, how important that understanding is for us. It's an understanding of how God um, basically takes our trespasses or our shortcomings or our sins and transforms them into our own righteousness. It's Christianity 101, basically. And so today, I know that you and I, we all need to be reminded concerning the strength of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what it means to us, especially during this Lenten season of the year when this time is so uh, focused on uh, our own uh, contemplation and how we focus on what God does for us in the midst of our own confessions. So what I want us to talk about in, in light of this text that we're about to read is that how the past is done away with. How Paul talks about that we don't see each other as we used to see. We don't even see Jesus as we used to see him. We see all things new. And we see the Christ as one doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You know, Jesus was one who taught us the perfect love of God and love of neighbor, right? But more than that, Paul reminds us in this text that we'll read today, he does for us as a Savior what no one else can do and what we certainly can't do on our own. So we sometimes say about Christ that Christ has washed away our sin or has blotted out our sin. Or today we're going to be talking about how Christ erases our sin. And the topic of this message today is holy erasers. Will you turn with me now to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, the 5th chapter. And we'll begin reading with the 16th verse. And let's stand for the reading of God's word. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, I want to say this morning that when you've been preaching for um, the better part of three and a half decades, you have files of information, and you go back to those files. And this week, I was 
uh, looking in a file that I had that was uh, basically on this very text. And I found um, some cartoon strips that were pretty old. And you know, the good thing about files these days is they remind us how obsolete they are. And you know, you can Google now, right? And so I had a Dennis the Menace cartoon. Remember Dennis the Menace? that uh, Hank uh, Ketchum uh, cartoon. And so I just decided to Google, and it brought back a lot of good memories of some really funny stuff of Dennis the Menace that we both saw in cartoons as I was growing up, and we also saw in the Dennis the Menace feature. Now, just to remind you, I'm going to have them come up on the screen so that you can really get in the mood to hear a good Dennis the Menace story. You know, you might say about this particular cartoon that I found that the handwriting was on the wall. And I mean literally on the wall. For Dennis the Menace is sitting in his usual rocking chair clutching his teddy bear. And all the time that he's clutching his teddy bear, um, he's thinking. And you can tell he's thinking. And in the background, you see right behind him spent Crayolas. You're getting the picture? And on the pristine walls, there's Dennis's Crayola artwork, about which his mother was not at all impressed. And so you saw Dennis's artwork on the walls as he's now sitting in timeout or in the corner in his rocking chair. But you can see the dinosaur, you could see a house, you could see a cowboy, you could see a sky and the sun and clouds. It was a work of art as far as Dennis was concerned, but his mother was not pleased at all. And so you could just see as Dennis was thinking through all of these matters, a little bubble comes over his head as Hank Ketchum, the artist, said to us, this is what Dennis is thinking, boy, I wish life came with erasers. You know, I got to thinking about that. How many of us wish life came with erasers? You know, we need erasers. I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm um, always in need of erasers in the sense that, you know, there are just some things that you do that you just wish you could wipe out, that you wish you could erase. Is there anybody with me in this? You know, I've thought about what we might do this morning is I'd just come down to the floor and I'd just say, how many of you have needed an eraser concerning something you've done in the past? How many of you? And all of you would raise your hands, right? And then I would say, well, let's just spend about 15 minutes and let's take some confessions. Tell me, Rusty George, why you need an eraser. And, and, and how about you over here? Uh, Harden, why don't you tell me about your need for an eraser? Cynthia, you can tell me about Harden's need for an eraser. You know, we could just go on and on, and it would be great, and we would all experience that, and we would leave here with some really juicy stuff, wouldn't we? Of course we would. You know, we all know that, um, that, that we come to life in need of erasers because there are things that we do that we just wished we hadn't done, and we wished we could get rid of it. But there, there, there's that sense in which that we just can't. And that's where Paul comes to us today with Christianity 101. And he says, you're right, you can't. But the good news is that Christ can. And Christ has come into the world with, with, with an extra measure of forgiveness and reconciliation for you and for me. 
And, and that we can say with Paul, in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. We have become new. You know, I, I can't remember a Lenten season that I didn't either read or hear the 51st Psalm of David. And in that 51st Psalm that we're so familiar with, it's the Psalm of repentance and the words we're familiar with because it, it's David at a time, tradition has it, when um, he has been with Bathsheba in that adulterous situation and her husband Uriah, he sent to the front line so he would be killed and he is just, he's just um, living in shame and guilt. And, and then we hear these words, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In this psalm, David is praying from the depths of his soul. He's praying in, in, in recognition of something that he just cannot erase. He can't go back and fix what he has done. He's not only ruined his own life, but he, he, he really did destroy the life of Bathsheba. And, 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 and Uriah, her husband, was killed. There was no redeeming that situation on his own. And yet he prays to God uh, that the holy erasers will be his and that he could say to God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. You know, even before Christ and our understanding of Christ that Paul lifts up in 2 Corinthians, our Judeo-Christian heritage has been one that we have recognized. Theology 101, that we can't fix everything on our own. That we need a Savior. One who can make things right. Not because we deserve it, but because we know we need it. And we know who to ask for it. You know, recently I was in an airport and I had a little time on my hands, which is a little unusual. And, and I went into one of those little magazine stores, you know, that sell the, the, the goodies too. And there was this, uh, this display of self-help books or, you know, you're familiar with the self-help books. And, and I always just look at the titles of the self-help books. And, you, you know, these have been popular for a long time, haven't they? Really decades. And, and it doesn't seem like that they're getting any less popular. But it caused me to remember the dummy books. You know the dummy books? The idiot books? You know, they're still around too. Do you know that more than 400 titles of dummy books have been printed? And, and we're talking about the, uh, the dummy approach to learning Spanish or philosophy or homeschooling or cosmetic surgery. Or, they're just hundreds of titles. Now, now, I suspect in thinking about this, you know, I did have time on my hands, but I was thinking about the fact that these dummy books and these self-help books really came about probably in correlation with the rise of the Internet and computers, the World Wide Web. 
Because, you know, it, it's been the more information that we can gather, the, the dumber we feel, right? There just seems to be so much that we can get knowledge of, but we just can't get all the knowledge that we need. And, and technology is just soaring by so fast that it, it has produced um, a sense of, of, of uh, inadequacy within us. And, and, and we feel like dummies, so we think we can pick up one of those yellow books and read it and everything be fixed. But it doesn't usually work that way. You know, in a world that has been uh, the giver of so many mixed signals at the same time that we've tried to find self-affirmation and self-confidence, we, we've been hit with this sense of inadequacy and the need for self-improvement. Will Williman uh, became a bishop after being the dean or the, the dean of the chapel at Duke Divinity School for many years and a very prolific writer, he spoke here for our, um, our ship lectures years ago, and I love to hear Will Williman preach. Most everybody does. He's extremely creative in his preaching. But one thing that I remembered Will Williman speaking on that is right on this topic was about picking up a, a book that was written by Norman Vincent Peale. And, and Will, in this sermon, he, he said, you know, Dr. Peel wrote this book, and in the very introduction of the book, it said this, Congratulations, you bought the book. You want to change and be a better person. Well, that's so, so far so good, right? And, and then Williman said that he started reading the first chapter, and Dr. Peel suggests that getting up early in the morning and and rocking in your rocking chair for 15 minutes a day and thinking good thoughts while you were rocking would just really make your day complete. And Will said that for the one thing, he didn't like waking up early in the morning. And secondly, he didn't have a rocking chair. And then he read the, the, the next chapter. And the next chapter says, if you really want to change and be a better person, you need to make a list of the good things that you are going to do that day and put the list in your shirt pocket. The next chapter, set aside some time each day to write one letter to someone that has touched your life in a positive way. All right. In the next chapter, Volunteer two hours per week and always be reading a positive book. Always be reading a positive book. Now, if you know Will Willimon, he's somewhat sarcastic, and I can see him by now really um, not thinking he's going to be able to do this. And then comes the next chapter. Have at least three conversations a day with positive people. Will said about that time, he decided he needed to quickly read to the end of the book, which he did. And he said, by the time I got to the end of the book, I was so depressed about all that I had to do in order to be a better person that I decided to just stay who I was. <laughs> now, I'm not going to um, criticize Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, for he brought a lot to life. A lot of positive thinking. But the bottom line is, in Christianity 101, 
that it's not about all the things we can do to be a better person. We just can't do enough to be good enough. We have to remember that truth is, um, it is about us embracing the God of the erasers who can help us by erasing the stuff that, that, that accumulates and, and send us forth with an understanding of our forgiveness and our reconciliation to God and one another. You know, the truth is that once habits are forged, real substantial change comes hard, doesn't it? I, I read something this week that, that I, I thought um, we all needed to hear and focus on. It said, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become characters. And watch your character, it becomes your destiny. You know, it's easy to think that our thoughts are small and trivial things, but we know that, that, that our thoughts can lead us into habits and to form our character. And then, you know, here we go. What we need to recognize is virtually none of us go through life without the need for holy erasers. Holy erasers that will give us that chance to start anew. You know, you know I've learned that, that, that people do find it hard to change, especially to change on their own. And the people that I have seen who have made effective changes in their lives have always been dependent upon the God of, con of, of conversion. Who you can turn over those things that you know you can't fix on your own and you can say, God, like David, I need your help. Create in me a clean heart and put a right spirit in me. And then I'll be a new creation. For it doesn't matter who we are, how much it might appear that we have it all together. There are things in all of our lives that we wished we could erase. You know, counselors and, and um, pastor types and psychologists have observed human nature through the years and have basically um, made this statement. That whatever you don't own, owns you. You know, when I was watching uh, Mike Phillips talk about 12-step ministry and the Center for Spiritual Development, I thought, you know, the community that I know gets that the best is the recovery community. They, they know that they don't have a chance in, in recovery without a higher power first, but without an ownership an ownership of who they are, in essence, defenseless to deal with matters of addiction on their own. And we are so prone not to own our own shortcomings and, and our own failures and our own um, sin that, that, that we wished we could just speak away or in some way erase on our own. You know, so often we say, this is not me. 
And an alcoholic would know that, that the years that, that, that he or she had said, this is not me, I can just erase this, I don't have to own this, they eventually come to a place that they realize, I couldn't do it on my own. You can't just say it louder, this is not me. You, you can't just try to erase it by whatever means without an understanding of the help that we need both from God and also the help we need from one another. We can't just say, I'm not addicted to pornography, I'm not addicted to gambling, I, I don't have an, an, an explosive temper or whatever. The irony is this. If we refuse to own it, it likely owns us. You know, until David said in that, and we have that in the 51st Psalm, I am this. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And I play like I'm the king of this nation and in relationship with God. Oh, Lord, I need you. Create in me a clean heart. Restore a right spirit within me. And how Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. If we are to be different, we will require help from the outside. You know, I had something happen to me a few days ago. I'm, I'm tempted to say that we need to... Um, we need to have that confession time, all of us, so I won't feel quite so singled out. Have you ever had a spoiled relationship? So have I. And this relationship got spoiled several years ago. And I wasn't over it. In fact, every time I'd see this person, it'd just bring up all of that old stuff. And I'd be telling myself, he was the one who was wrong. It wasn't me, Lord. It was him. And I kept trying to convince myself of... of um, of my rightness, and, and that here I stand in need of a great big apology that probably will never come. And in recognition that there's no way that I could really force an apology or force things to be right, the only person I could control in this was myself. And as much as I had talked myself into the fact that I was wrong and he I was right and he was wrong. The truth of the matter is, I was wrong. And this all came to a, a, a place of, um, of, of intense focus for me at all places at the general conference a few weeks ago. There were several of us in the balcony sitting together during a worship service of forgiveness and reconciliation. It was a beautiful worship service, and the, the, the speaker at the time, he just, he just said it out loud. He said, you know, during this time of our reflection, if there's somebody who has wronged you, or if you have wronged somebody, and if you need to go and, and, and ask forgiveness 
and, and to be reconciled, you move right now. It, it wasn't quite like an altar call, but just about like an altar call. And I knew nearly immediately the Holy Spirit was speaking to me because I knew the pro person I had a problem with was standing like right over there. I mean, I'd spoken to him, you know, we, we exchanged chilly hellos. And, and so I was there and I could tell what I needed to do that I couldn't fix this on my own, but the Holy Spirit was saying, do it. And I turned to my right and that guy was looking right at me with tears in his eyes. He knew it too. And so I don't think I took the first step. I think we both stepped at the same time, but we stepped toward one another. And in that moment, we hugged each other. Now, I would have been good with just, you know, kind of a little quick hug. But this guy, like, grabbed me. And he held me. He held me a long time. I, I was trying not to be self-conscious of, you know, you know, people are looking. Uh, yeah. But then I just let myself be held. And I said, I love you. He said, I love you too. And the past became the past. What I had been trying to do on my own for so long, I could never do. But when the Holy Spirit starts moving and you start hearing the Holy Spirit in message and in song and the Holy Spirit says, all right, this is it. You have to respond. And if you do, you'll never be sorry. Because here's Jesus, the holy eraser. And the power of the Holy Spirit saying this is it. You know, it reminds me so of the best of our theology as United Methodists. It's theology that we've had for Centuries. It was theology the early Methodists sang. It's in our hymns. It's in our preaching. We just kept bringing it home that, 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 that we can't fix ourselves. That, that we need a holy eraser. And the Wesley brothers, John Wesley, the preacher, and Charles Wesley, the hymn writer, they, they brought all of that home to us. And, and I've, I've been thinking about that great hymn of, of, of Methodism. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble blessing, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, 
pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. But, but the best verse is the last verse. And I'm not going to try to sing it without some help. To become in Jesus Christ a holy eraser. Thank God. Life does come with erasers. Amen.